Hey there, Jeff and Salisa here. Before we kick off this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast, we want to make a small request of you, dear listener. If you're someone who has listened to the show before and gotten value out of it, or if you're someone listening for the first time and you find this episode valuable, please take just a moment to leave a rating and brief review for Leading Learning on iTunes by going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. Reviews play an important role in the long-term success and sustainability of any podcast. Your reviews help attract new listeners, and they help show potential sponsors that the show is reaching listeners and having an impact. We know you're busy, as we all are, so please know that we really appreciate every review we receive. We'd be truly grateful if you would take just a moment to contribute a review today. Now, on with the show. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 187 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Michelle Ockers, a learning and development strategist and an Australian. In fact, Michelle is our first interviewee from Down Under, helping to add to Leading Learning's international appeal. But before we get to the interview, we want to take just a moment to highlight a recent review of the show and express our appreciation. This review comes from M. Fontaine, who calls us a must-listen, saying, I regularly take a moment to reevaluate which content contributes the most to shaping my thinking. Jeff Cobb and Salisa Steele's Leading Learning Podcast always makes the cut. Interviews are concise, thought-provoking, and provide practical advice from going beyond thinking into taking action. If continuing education, professional development, lifelong learning, or learning at large are part of your business, then this podcast is definitely worth listening to. Thanks so much for leaving that review and the five-star rating. Yes, indeed. Our sincere thanks and appreciation. Now, let's get back to the focus of this episode. And Salisa, will you share a little bit about what you and Michelle Ockers cover? Yes. Michelle is a learning and development strategist, mentor, facilitator, trainer, and speaker. And she's someone who's very thoughtful and deliberate about her own learning. Harold Jarkey, whom you spoke to for the podcast, Jeff, mentioned Michelle to us. And so, as you might expect, Michelle and I talk about personal knowledge management. We also get into working out loud as an approach to learning. And we talk podcasting as she's co-host of the Learning Uncut podcast. Michelle also shares suggestions for what learning leaders and learning providers might need to take into account when planning their own professional development and learning. Helping others develop their own PD plans is, in fact, something Michelle has a lot of experience doing. And I also asked Michelle for her take on some of the major opportunities and threats facing learning businesses at this point in time. Well, definitely many thanks to Harold Jarkey for highlighting Michelle Ockers and her work for us, and we'll be sure to link to the episode with Harold and the show notes. Definitely give that a listen. But for now, let's move on to the interview with Michelle Ockers. (music) 
Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Salisa Steele, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ockers. Michelle is a learning and development strategist, mentor, facilitator, trainer, and speaker who believes that everyone deserves the opportunity to learn and perform at their best. While she's based in Australia, she helps leaders in many countries build a high-impact L&D function. Michelle, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you, Salisa. It's my pleasure to be here. So to start off, what else would you like to highlight for listeners about you and your background and your work? Um, I'll stick to the stuff that I think is relevant to today's conversation. Um, I think it's important to understand that I come from a very structured background by nature. I'm a very disciplined and well-organized person. I also spent the first 16 years of my working life in the military, in the Royal Ah. Australian Air Force, right? So I am used to being very structured. I've done a lot of project management work and I've used my project management skills to move through several industries since leaving the military in 2000. Um, And I've landed in, and I will call it training, I landed in the training kind of environment around 2004, although many of my roles in the military included some responsibility for training and training systems. But since that time, since 2004, I've moved between working independently and also as an employee. And in that time, I've had some amazing learning opportunities and some epiphanies around learning, which have shifted me from calling it training to calling it learning and working in a very different way. Um, One of the seminal experiences I had was working with Coca-Cola Amatil in Australia. I was originally engaged to set up a technical training academy in their supply chain area, which I did. But in the process, in the kind of 18 months from when I first started building this technical training academy and delivering on the initial mission of setting up formal learning pathways off the back of investments in a range of platforms and uh, new equipment, I discovered through, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the ways I discovered this, I discovered I had my eyes open to what learning really was. And I had the opportunity working with um, some amazing business leaders who were really receptive and cared about their people and creating great environments for learning and performance. I had the opportunity to start building an environment for continuous workplace learning. So moving from everything being about training and control and formal pathways and so on, They still have their place, but moving more into this environment of continuous learning and helping people to connect with others and to manage their own learning in a much more fluid way. So most of my work now is in modernising learning strategy in organisations and helping learning and development teams to make these kind of mindset shifts and build their capability to equip them for a very dynamic, not just future, but present. I think, you know, we're in a very dynamic environment One other thing I will mention, because I think it is relevant, um, I'm a parent, uh, and in 2018, I undertook a seven-month road trip with my daughter, who was then 13, just the two of us, Um, and the reason I did that was I was living in a big, busy city in Sydney, and there were things about her experience in education in her first year of high school and my experience of work that I realised I was sending her certain messages about life and about work and about learning. And the messages I was sending her were really learn how to be part of a system, learn Mm -hmm. how to work in conditions that are suboptimal. And, you know, it was affecting 
both our well-being. And I, one day, you know, one weekend, I, I kind of went away and I thought about what is going on in our lives. And what I realized was I wanted to send her messages about having choice and being creative and setting your own path in life. So I pulled her out of the schoolyard. I put her in distance education for seven months and we went on this road trip. Um, I wanted to change the way I was working. I was doing a lot of big consulting gigs and I wanted to work a lot more fluidly and be able to work with a lot more organizations at one time. So we headed off on this road trip, not knowing how long we would be gone for or where we would stop. And at the end of it, I had, uh, we stopped in a a new city, um, you know, 800 uh, miles north of of the one we'd started in. And we'd covered around 15,000 kilometers of territory in that time. Wow. That sounds like an amazing experience. And yeah, what a way to um, not just uh, tell your daughter that, you know, you have choices and you can create your own path, but to go out and, and demonstrate that and let her have that opportunity herself to experience it. Um, that's all fantastic. And, and I love what you were saying too about continuous learning. Um, I, I think probably all of these ideas are going to um, continue to, to circle. But I, I was going to just say here at the outset that it was um, Harold Jarkey who first made me aware of you and your work. And I think that's um, because it's probably fair to say that both you and, and Harold are deeply interested in personal knowledge management or, or mastery, depending on how you want to define that M. And, and so actually, I'd love to just hear a little bit from your perspective about what um, PKM is, how you define it, and how you tend to use it, both for your own learning and to support the work that you're doing with, with learning leaders and learning teams. Yeah, and I, Harold Jarkey has been one of my key influences. Around about 2014, there were a number of people I, I look to as uh, mentors, even if in an informal sense, who've shaped and shifted how I learn, how I work, and how I help other people to do the same. And Harold is one of them. Um, and I, will, I would say that personal knowledge mastery, PKM, is really how I learn. It's how I stay abreast in my field and to a large extent, how I work. And for me, a lot of it is around operating effectively in the networked era. So I know you've, you've done a, um, a podcast with Harold and he talks about his seek, sense, share model. Um, I've done Harold's uh, continuous, uh, well, he's sorry, um, online learning program around PKM. I've done it twice, in fact, uh, because it's something where my own personal processes and habits for how I seek, that is how I connect with people, with sources of information, how I sense or how I synthesize all of that and figure out, um, so what? So I've, you know, I've had these conversations or I've had a number of experiences or I've read something new or watched something. Well, what does that mean? What can I do with that? Um, what next as a result of that? And then sharing that back out, be it through conversations with people, be it through, um, you know, I, I do a lot of video work now as well as blog posts. So in the process of going through this kind of continuous cycling through taking things in, having experiences, making sense of it, and then finding ways to integrate it back into my work and share it with others, I'm just learning as I'm working. Um, so it, it's just part of how I operate now, and it's been a radical shift in my own professional development away from kind of everything being about formal education to really being the master of my own destiny when it comes to learning. Um, and now when I work with others, I look for ways um, to integrate some of these practices and habits uh, into the work I do. So 
I, I do individual professional development mentoring with learning professionals, with learning leaders, and I also help look at what, what are the skills and learning practices of a whole team. So often I'll work with a learning and development team and look at what, what skills do we need to develop in the team and how can we build continuous learning practices in the team. Now, I don't tend to talk about PKM or explicitly use Seek, Sense, Share. And the reason I don't do this is because it doesn't feel familiar enough to people. It feels like a big jump. Mm. Uh, So I tend to use language that is more familiar. I tend to talk about learning from experiences, learning from people and learning from investigation, which is kind of around courses and resources. And I picked that model up from um, a person named Arun Pradhan, who uh, developed an app here in Australia, which is available um, globally, but learn to learn. So he does a lot of work around learning agility. And this is kind of the framework he uses. And I found that really resonates. People can get their heads around, okay, I have experiences, um, which is kind of part of the seek. Um, How do I learn from experiences? So I spend a lot of time with people working on habits and practices for reflection and for um, looking at their experience and then saying, well, what can I build forward from that experience? Because we all have experiences, but the degree to which we learn effectively from them and get better from them varies. So I will talk about experiences um, and then I will just subtly build into the practices. I support people to develop the seek, sense, share steps, um, people as well in terms of how do you operate in a network? How do you um, find other people who are relevant? How do you engage them in a conversation? How do you create opportunities, which can often be really serendipitous rather than pre-planned, but how do you create opportunities to do something together, to collaborate to learn, to, to create something new or gain a new insight. So it's it's not kind of in your face the way I use the Seek, Sense, Share model when in my work with others, um, but it is definitely integrated right through the way I work with others. Well, and, and perhaps related to that, one of the things I notice is that you describe yourself as a, a working out loud champion. And, and so do you see um, working out loud as being part of that Seek, Sense, Share model or sort of how does it fit with your overall view uh, of learning, um, again, both personally and then perhaps also as how you use it to help others develop their own approach to their own learning? Yeah, again, it's um, there's kind of a huge amount of overlap, I think, between the idea of working out loud and uh, seek, sense, share, because working out loud, well, it depends which version of working out loud you run with, right? So, I originally came across this idea of working out loud through Jane Bozarth um, at a conference in 2012. She was kind of the first person who used the term. She actually talks about showing your work. And um, what she means by showing your work is making your work and your work processes visible to others. Um, And one of the key ways I I did this early on um, was through blogging, just starting to talk about what I was working on, how I was working, um, what what I was wanting to do better or what I was learning as a result of my work. But she tries to keep it really simple, right, and, and says there's no right or wrong way to make your work visible to others. So you, you can see this is obviously, if you think about Seek, Sense, Share as, as a framework, um, it, it's obvious that you're sharing your work. But in the process of preparing to share your work, to write about your work, to talk about it, um, you have to do some sense making. You have to think about what have I learned or what would I do differently 
um, or what are my processes. So it's kind of tightly woven in. Um, so that's one camp of working out loud is, is the more kind of simple and what I think is at the heart of working out loud, which is making your work visible and sharing your work with others. Um, then you have John Stepper. Now, I don't know if, if you've ever had John Stepper on the program or if you've talked, any guests have talked about John Stepper's work with working out loud and working out loud circles. Has that come up? No, it hasn't. Okay, so in 2014, I fell across John Stepper in a Twitter chat and he was talking about working out loud and working out loud circles. And it was something he was trying at Deutsche Bank. And it was a way of giving people more control over their professional destiny um, by building their relationships, building their profile. And he proposed, he used this idea of showing your work as one of five elements of working out loud. So here's this framework, if you like, for working out loud that includes not just making your work visible, but also purposeful discovery. So engaging in um, your network with a goal in mind. Um, It could be, I want to learn more about, um, I don't know, artificial intelligence, let's say. I just want to learn more about artificial intelligence. So some, some sense of discovery. So you're not just jumping on the internet, for instance, and channel surfing in social media or Uh, in your discussions with people. You have some overarching goal. He talks about it being about relationships and it's all about building relationships is the second element. The third element, which is the key to building relationships, is interacting with generosity and contribution with others. So one of the approaches he suggests you take is, or one of the mindset shifts is, instead of asking how might other people in a network help me, lead with looking for an opportunity to help them and trust that in a network that that pays back um you know that somewhere along the line you find people who are willing to contribute to you that if you are someone who engages from generosity you will find other people who have a similar approach to interacting with you and you'll find people who can help you towards whatever your goal is and then the fifth element is growth mindset which you know we, we hear a lot about growth mindset now and the idea that um, you're not fixed in terms of talent but you've got an opportunity to improve and get better so John was playing around with this and he'd set up these working out loud circles in Deutsche Bank which were groups of three to five people um, peer groups who met over a period of 12 weeks for one hour a week and went through like this guided mastery program so week by week would do take one little step towards interacting more purposefully in a network and building relationships through contribution as you work towards a goal and each person has their own goal so I thought well this sounds really interesting I would like to try this so I got in touch with John and um, I set up two working out loud circles and I think mine was some of the earliest public circles and I just went out via my blog post on social media and said hey who's interested in trying this out and got two groups together and we we gave it a try and it worked really well um the contribution aspect really resonated with me and I think it takes some of the um stigma out of the older older approaches to networking which were all about what can I get people to do for me Mm. Uh, and a lot of people are more comfortable right to say this is about how I can contribute and how I can participate um without it feeling like I'm trying to take advantage of people or get something out of people. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely it does. And so you were a participant. I mean, you obviously convened both of those um, working out loud groups, but you were also a participant in each of them? Um, In one of them I was a participant um, and the other someone else convened it. And John has 
freely available on his workingoutloud.com site, um, his 12 weekly guides that anyone can set up for completely free, a self-facilitated working out loud circle and go through this process using his guides. Um, after trying it personally, I also decided to pilot it in the organisation I was working at the time, which was Coca-Cola Amatil. So I started promoting it, um, talking to different groups in the organisation, um, putting it out on our intranet to say who's interested in giving this a try. And I pulled together, I think, six working out loud circles. Bosch was using working out loud circles heavily already. And there's a lot of organisations. Um, John now works, he's no longer with Deutsche Bank, he's um, working independently. And he works with a lot of organisations organizations at um, setting up working out loud as a process and um, approach. Uh, so Bosch was one of the early pioneers. So I spoke to them and learned a bit from them about how they ran them in their organization. I piloted with uh, uh, these six early circles at Coca-Cola Amatil, and we evaluated the impact it had on participants. And we also got their view on the potential contribution to organization goals. And one of the key outcomes that were, the participants were really confident that their networking skills were much better. Mm. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that's being able to operate effectively in a network is absolutely critical for working and learning in today's world. Um, so, you know, to, to do all those three elements of PKM, seek, and share, we need to engage with others. We need to do them in, a, well, we, we, doing them in a network just amplifies who we are and accelerates our learning. So I just thought they were really strongly aligned um, and I've just found the whole approach very powerful. I've, I, I still operate with working out loud circles now. I normally do a couple every year. Um, and I, I did go through a period where I think I reached out to learning and development leaders in Australia via LinkedIn and said, look, if anyone's interested in trying this out, let me know. Um, and we had, I think, 14 circles running. Two years ago, I ran 14 circles. Wow. And that was just <laughs> something I did on a voluntary basis just to get more energy um, and momentum around the approach because I think it's just so powerful. And I love that anyone can do it. You don't need special skills and the resources are all freely available. As Michelle has pointed out, relationships are a significant contributor to learning. Community Brands, our sponsor for this quarter, provides a suite of cloud-based software for organizations to engage and grow relationships with the individuals they serve, including association management software, learning management software, job board software, and event management software. Community Brands award-winning Crowd Wisdom Learning Platform is among the world's best LMSs for corporate extended enterprise and is a leading LMS for association-driven professional education programs. Award-winning Freestone, Community Brands' live event learning platform, is a leading platform for live learning event capture, webinars, webcast, and on-demand streaming. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands. And now, back to the interview as Salisa asked Michelle for her advice on what those of us working in learning businesses might need to take into account when planning our own professional development. You know, you mentioned that you had that you reached out to other um, learning folks in Australia to get those fourteen um, groups set up. And you know, ironically, sometimes the providers of learning are, are the ones who are maybe too focused on helping others learn and and don't always uh, pay enough attention to their own learning. It's, I guess, kind of that variation of the the cobbler's uh, sh children going without shoes. And um, but I know that you have a lot of experience helping um, people develop their own professional development plans. And so 
I'm, I'm curious to know, kind of drawing on all your experience helping others, um, what advice you might have for listeners when they think about and, and plan their own professional development and, and learning? Yeah, I, I think um, for every professional in today's world, it's critical to take charge of your own learning and to constantly be learning, to stay abreast of change. Lots of things are changing, um, lots of discovery at the moment. We're going through this huge transition period, I think, with um, technology and artificial intelligence still, and it hasn't settled. Um, you know, we're not sure what the future is going to be. So huge benefits, I think, both personally um, in taking charge of our own learning, but also, you know, if you're in an organisation whose primary focus is to help others to learn at either an individual or organisational level, I think there's like this huge competitive advantage in being adept at managing your own learning and making it a core practice for your business. So some some of the suggestions I would have firstly is to, to be intentional um, about what it is you want to learn or what what domains or developments you want to probe into and find out a bit more about. I mentioned artificial intelligence earlier. Um, you know, I've sort of got a watching brief over artificial intelligence, particularly in the fields of human resources and learning. So that's something I'm constantly scanning for, looking for conversations. I went to a webinar last night on it and had a comp- some conversations off the back of that. Um, but being fluid, you know, the, the whole idea of um, – Smart goals are still used a lot in many organisations, but I like to, um, building off that purposeful discovery idea from John Stepper, I encourage people to set directional goals rather than smart goals um, because they provide some sense of what I want to learn about, but they give you fluidity to move as you discover and connect with others or come across new information or ideas. So the the fresher and newer, uh, more contemporary the, the thing is that you want to learn about or the skills you want to develop, I think the more valuable being fluid and having these directional goals rather than smart goals is to your learning. Um, networks are critical. We've talked a little bit around networks um, and how they build into PKM and to working out loud. So I would encourage people to, um, if they're not already active in networks, find some networks, build up your skills with working in the online world to connect with people um, and be be a little bit courageous, start interacting and participating in those. And sometimes, you know, that interaction, which in itself we talked about before about working out loud and the idea of contributing, just interacting with someone can be a contribution. You know, contributions don't have to be these huge things about writing blog posts and so on. It can be as simple as making a comment on something someone shared or asking a question or, you know, sharing a resource, but starting to get involved um, gradually. And over time, relationships emerge from that and learning emerges from that. I think habits are really important and figuring out what habits are going to work for you um, and there's lots of stuff out there on how to build habits. Some of my favourite um, thinkers and writers on habit formation are Charles Duhigg um, and also Gretchen Rubin, who people you know may not have heard much about Gretchen. Um, she's uh, you know a, a writer. I think she lives in New York, um, but one of her recent books was Better Than Before. And she talks about 21 different strategies for habit building, but she starts with the idea that you have to know your own habit, you know yourself and what works for you. So, for instance, um, I'm much more likely to do something if I make a commitment to someone else than if I just make a commitment to myself. Uh, So, 
one of the ways I build habits is by saying to someone, you know, I will, you know, I, I will do something by a certain date to share with you, for instance. Um, so I think there's plenty out there around habits, but look for ways of building some simple habits. They could be habits around reading. They could be habits about just getting online once or twice a week on either LinkedIn or on Twitter um, and interacting with people. Um, they could be habits around, uh, you know, maybe doing a um, an online course um, and setting aside regular time. But the final tip, I think, really important, ensure you're looking out far enough Um Sometimes we just get too caught up in the here and now and what skills do I need for today without engaging in that discovery process around, well, what's coming in two to five years? Maybe we don't quite know, but there's a lot of people out there writing, thinking about this, that we can be following, reading, watching um, developments, reading research, you know, really important to make sure your horizon for learning is far enough out that you're on the edge, I think, particularly if you're wanting to be an organization or a person that guides other people into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I love all of the suggestions around, you know, being intentional, being clear around what is that, that, that you're, what is it that you would like to learn um, more about the idea of, of setting those kind of fluid, but directional goals, um, uh, networking more, making sure that you're building those habits. And it's true, I know Duhigg's work. I, I don't know Gretchen Rubin. I'll be sure and check her out. Um, and then um, making sure that that time horizon, that you're not, we're not too focused on just what's happening now or just the, you know, the, the near um, future. And like you're saying, especially with so much happening that's changing um, our world right now in terms of, of technology and uh, just the continuing pace uh, of change. And so making sure that we're keeping an eye on that, even if we're not 100% certain what's going to happen with it, just making sure that it's out there. So those are all great suggestions. So thank you for that. And I wanted to switch gears a little bit. And this is partially because it's a, a I'm, I'm very personally interested in this, um, in that you are a podcaster. And um, I know that along with um, Karen Maloney, you co-host Learning Uncut and you focus on interviews with learning professionals and you, you really dig in around real solutions that they've developed for the real world that they've implemented. They're sharing those, those lessons learned. Um, but again, as a podcaster myself, I'm always curious to talk with other podcasters. And so I would love to hear your perspective on how the podcast fits into your own professional development and learning and, and maybe get some of your major lessons learned or, or ahas from learning uncut, at least so far in your, your progress with that podcast. Yeah, thanks, Felisa. I, I love the podcast. I love it. It brings me such joy. Mm. Um, and it's been one of my most valuable learning experiences. We're coming up to our one-year anniversary. Um, and, you know, what I find with the podcast in terms of where it fits into my own professional development and learning is that it opens up conversations. It gives me the opportunity to go to someone and say, hey, I'd like to learn more about your your work um, and some of the things you're doing that, that are effective. Um, maybe they're, uh, you know, cutting edge, a bit contemporary. Maybe they're just something that, um, you know, is commonly done, but it's being done really well. So it's just an amazing way to open up conversations. Um, and because I'm not working, you know, I work across multiple organisations, but I'm, I'm independent, um, it helps me stay close to practice and, and what people are doing and what people are trying. Uh, so it gives me lots of good examples and seeds, being able to take examples and share them with others. Um, 
and it's also from a network perspective, a way of helping others to share their stories, right? So in, in terms of the Sixth Sense share, getting the stories out there so that others can find them, learn from them and improve their own practice. So it's like this big virtuous circle, I think. Um, you know, in terms of major lessons, uh, I think what I'm seeing a lot of is people who are doing really effective, impactful things in learning and development are looking outside of their own field. So they're looking for practices from other disciplines. Sometimes we have some people, some of our guests who talk about like deliberately finding people with different opinions or who see the world differently so that they can get a different take um, on on their work or their thinking, um, which is, uh, you know, a really interesting practice. Um Sometimes I'm noticing a resurgence in practices that maybe we've veered away from, but with a with a new take, a new twist. Um, so some things I, I thought maybe were falling out of fashion have been reinvigorated. And capability frameworks are a good example without mm. wanting to get a whole stack too technical. They're just, you know, a definition of skills needed um, in, in a certain domain or field. Um, but what I'm seeing is as we shift um, – to more self-directed learning, more continuous learning approaches, capability frameworks are being used in some organisations to help um, curate resources, for instance, that people can then self-help to. Um, uh, they're being used to help people to um, orient their own learning, to give them, um, you know, pathways, but they can self-direct around those pathways. They can connect with others around you know, knowing what sort of skills or to get to the next level or to move into this other area, what sort of skills might I need to develop without dictating or controlling this is how you have to develop them, um, but giving them autonomy and, and permission, if you like, and, and ways of going out and discovering for themselves around those frameworks. Um, experimentation, really critical, uh, much, much more activity going on with people trying new things out. So we've had one one um, guest who had created a chatbot for learning transfer, for instance, which was a bit of an experiment. We had another guest talking about a video campaign which was inspired by marketing practices and was quite different to more traditional controlled video campaigns. So this uh, kind of loosening of control that goes with that. But people are much more willing, I'm, I'm think, seeing now, to take a little bit of a risk and to try something different, um, which I think is great. It's how we learn. It's how we discover. Um, and then finally, at a personal level, doing the podcast has got me reading books again. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, I, I had fallen out of the habit of reading books because I'd gotten so involved in the online world and in, in connections and conversations and reading resources that people were sharing online that, you know, it was a time thing. I'd kind of stopped reading books. But so we ask all of our guests, the, second, the last question we ask is um, what's the biggest thing you do for your own professional development? And so many of our guests are actually readers and talked about some of the books they were reading and what they were learning from those books. And, and I've just rediscovered the, the joy of, uh, you know, reading again. It's been great. Lovely. Well, um, congratulations on your almost one year anniversary. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is, is what 
brought you to the podcast? I mean, since it's you know relatively new, um, uh, and and as you mentioned yourself, you know you're very um, you know d- deliberate, and you have the 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 project management background and and this intentional approach that you bring to what you do. And so, I would love to hear kind of the 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 rationale or decision making that went into saying, okay, I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to do it now. Yeah, I love listening to podcasts myself. Um, when I was living in, in Sydney, I used to live not far from the beach and I would walk every morning. I had my dog. Dog insisted on a walk. So we'd get out there at like 5.30 a.m. or something and I'd stick on a podcast. And, you know, I learned a lot just like through this constant sort of saturation almost in podcasts for a period of time. Um and I just found it personally such an effective medium that, you know, I'd, I'd been toying around with the idea of uh, my own podcast for a couple of years, uh, but I was a bit frightened about the amount of work involved um, and not having the technical skills around the editing and production and that, how, how much of my time would it need. But then I uh, had a conversation with uh, my co-host, Karen Maloney. We were at a, a dinner together and we both got talking about wanting to help share more stories and how it was an awards dinner. And we were also talking about all the unsung heroes in our um, profession uh, and how people were doing great work. But, you know, apart from the award winners, maybe no one really got to hear from it, uh, hear about and learn from it. So Karen said, look, maybe we should explore doing a podcast together. And coincidentally, she had also spoken to someone else who just wanted to do the editing and production. And it was like a match made in heaven. (laughs) Someone's going to do that for us. Oh my goodness. Uh, So, you know, it was, you know, it was because I had learned so much from podcasts because there was an opportunity to help share stories and because we wanted a local voice. So we only interview as guest professionals who are working in Australia and New Zealand um, because our, our stories from down under, because of the time zone difference, um, uh, you know, maybe are a little overlooked. Um, and for me also, I started the podcast, um, made the decision to start the podcast around the time I started this seven-month road trip. So I was very conscious as I was traveling, I wanted a way to really stay connected um, and to be able to approach people and say, hey, talk to me about your work. So it was just a, a real um, blessing to be able to have these conversations and do this while I was traveling. Mm, well, it sounds like a, a, a real serendipitous uh, occasion that the three of you all came together and, and now here you are almost a year later um, and things are going so well. I've listened to um, several episodes and, and enjoyed um, what I've heard. I, I listened to the, the chatbot episode and um, uh, also the, the use of podcasts um, for, for learning um, was one of the episodes. So it's, it's great stuff. And I think just having those real stories and getting, uh, you know, into a little bit of the nitty-gritty about what's behind each of those projects has been very interesting. If you're looking for a technology partner to help you with some of the nitty-gritty of your learning business, we suggest you check out our sponsor for this quarter. WBT Systems develops the industry-leading top-class LMS, which delivers transformative professional development experiences for education and certification programs. With a single point of support from in-house integration experts, Top Class LMS easily integrates with a wide variety of systems to provide efficient administration and a unified learning experience. WBT supports organizations in using learning technology to help drive growth in membership, increase revenues, and enhance the learning experience. WBT believes in truly understanding your challenges and partnering with you to ensure the success of your education programs. 
Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash WBT. And now back to Salisa and Michelle as they discuss Michelle's thoughts on the major opportunities and threats for learning businesses today. You work with all these organizations, you get to talk to all these folks for the podcast. So you have this really broad view of learning. And so uh, I want to change perspective just a little bit and just kind of go a little bit big picture here and just ask, you know, kind of based on what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, what are some of the major opportunities and threats that you see today for organizations that are providing professional development, continuing education, and lifelong learning? Um, I'm, I'm going to start with a little story about a conversation I had with my daughter, who's now 14, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and she, she got all excited last year about the idea of being an anaesthetist. Mm. And uh, she went and did all her research around how much study, where could she study, what did she need to do at high school, what grades did she need to get. Um, and she seemed really determined with this idea. And a couple of weeks ago, she we were sitting having breakfast and she said to me, I'm really concerned about what I'm thinking about doing with, you know, this university study. And she said, the problem is I'm going to spend a lot of time going through and getting this qualification and maybe by the time I'm finished the qualification, the job won't even be there anymore. Mm. Uh, so there's this sort of awareness even at her age around um, how things are shifting um, and jobs are changing um, and things that people are having to do at the moment are maybe being swept aside by advances in technology. Um, so I think for a start, I, th- I think there's kind of what are the major opportunities and threats starts with our education system um, and the kind of skills that people need moving into the future. Um, and I think it also says something about um, what we regard as the professions, um, and particularly those that are tightly regulated and tightly controlled, things like medicine, law, accounting, and the shifts that are probably coming up for them and what that means in terms of continuing education um, around being able to move quickly enough to adjust to largely technology-driven shifts in what people need to know and how we will work. So um, I think education institutions need to stay on top of that and adjust very quickly. Um, That would be the first observation I would make in terms of threats and opportunities. Um, I think that in terms of threats, there's a trap that is easy to fall into, which is focusing too heavily on content and not enough on connection and providing opportunities for co-creation. So I hear platform providers, learning platform providers, talking about um, pushing out content and that pushing out content to people as they work um, helps people to learn in the flow of work. Well, it's not the same. Um, I think we need to be more far-reaching in our thinking and practices about helping people to learn more fluidly and helping them to connect with others and to provide opportunities to create something new for themselves and not just be fed content, be it at at moments that suit them better. Um, You know, I I think there's an opportunity there for building community as an opportunity. Um, (laughs) The, and I think this is common in the US as well as in Australia, there's this breakdown of traditional groups or places to create a sense of belonging. Um, you know, in Australia, the sports club is a great place. Uh, you know, we're a bit of a sporting nation and people kind of 
coalesce around sports clubs, around supporting teams as a place to get a sense of belonging. But some of the traditional institutions are breaking down a little bit around um, church, for instance, uh, as a, a place for people to come together. That may not be the case in the US, but certainly in Australia. Um, the, the nature of the family and the family unit has shifted over time. So people are still looking for a sense of belonging. So I think the idea of building communities that coalesce people around common values, common purpose and a way to learn is a really big opportunity. Um, and, and then the whole piece around data um, and the amount of data we have available to us now, uh, now and data analysis and, you know, evidence-based practice, really getting to grips with what can we learn from people's behaviours, pe about people's needs and how we can respond to them um, using data, I think, is another emerging opportunity. So it's a mix of technology and human. Mm. Yeah, it's a nice to have them both there because, right, both are so important that we're having all these changes on the technology front, but we still, of course, as humans, crave this belonging. And as you're pointing out, it's definitely true in the U.S., as in Australia, where some of the traditional historic places that we might have gone for that sense of belonging, that sense of community, are, are no longer so strong. And it does make sense that if you can find others who want to learn about the same types of things that you want to learn about, who have that, that shared um, love of just learning in general, that there's a, a big opportunity there. Yeah, we have um, meetup groups in Australia. Do you have the, the meetup app? In uh, in the US, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So you know, there's a, anyone can set up a meetup group and, and invite others to come along to their meetups. And um, there's a few uh, really effective and powerful meetups, uh, certainly in learning and development um, in Australia that I've seen um, get up and running. So um, you know, getting involved with those is a really great way to find others um, who perhaps have common interest. Absolutely. And so, you know, we're talking a little bit uh, about um, kind of the current opportunities and threats. And so now maybe if we pick up and look out just a little bit further, you know, maybe in that sort of two to five year horizon um, that you were sort of recommending folks be thinking about when they're um, attuned to, to their own uh, plan for their personal learning. But if you look out uh, just a little bit, you know, what's on the horizon for learning that gets you excited that you sort of see as a, a positive development or uh, or the, a potential positive development that might be coming our way? Yeah. Um, the, the, the stuff on the technology side and the stuff on the human side that I'm really interested in and excited about on, on the technology side and um, it's the whole idea of personalised and adaptive learning supported by technology and some of the developments in artificial intelligence. Um, and I think going beyond just um, you've read these three books, so we recommend these other books for you. Um, you know, I think there's a risk on, on the whole uh, just en recommendation engines feeding more of the same that you become insular Um so yeah, I think we, we're going to move beyond that potentially in coming years to technology that, particularly in the workplace, um, technology that can sense and detect and predict um, what you need, when you need it, um, and to be able to uh, feed you not just resources but also perhaps behavioural nudges 
based on what's happening in the flow of work, but also, um, you know, technology that's going to make it easier to connect with other people more seamlessly. So that's kind of what I'm most interested in on the technology side. On the, the human side, um, you know, more than anything, it's about the opportunity we have now to connect and collaborate with anyone anywhere in the world to learn from each other, to solve problems, to create new knowledge. Um, and, and I think we're still learning about how to really build trust, how to really build connection. Um, but, but as an individual, you know, for me, more than anything, that's like just radically shifted um, my experience of learning and work and opened up amazing opportunities. Um, and I think there's just so much more potential in that. Um, uh, and, and, you know, taking, extending that into organisations, um, the idea of learning culture, we, we have some really toxic organisational cultures now. Um, you know, there, there's this huge investment going into wellness and wellbeing programs in the workplace, huge investment in building people's resilience. And I look at it and I think, you know, are we really getting to the source of the problem? Like, what, what, what is it that people have to be resilient about? And it's not just the pace of change. Sometimes it's about just the way things work in organisations and how tough it can be in some organisations. Um, so I think there's kind of this resurgence of interest around making workplaces more human, building better workplaces where people can bring their whole self to work and work in a more engaged way. And I think if we can build more more trust, um, more, more engagement into our workplaces, that just um, opens up the opportunity to to learn with more courage and to shift the boundaries of learning. So that that excites me. No, I think that's a wonderful observation about right. Are we getting to the root cause when we um, yeah focus on things like resilience and and really looking at the structures um, that that underlie um, what might be the the cause of some of our troubles today? So that's a great observation. I really appreciate that. Our time is drawing to a close. So the next to last question that I want to ask you is um, is one that we ask of everyone who comes on the Leading Learning Podcast and basically would just love to hear from you about one of your most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your, your formal education. Yeah. Um, I, I often share this one with people. It's a program that doesn't exist anymore, although it has been morphed and, and evolved into other um, learning formats. Um, there's a lady called Jane Hart, H-A-R-T. Mm. Yes, yeah. Jane Hart. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Jane runs the Modern Workplace Learning Centre. In 2014, she had a program called the Social Learning Practitioner Program. Um, and by, by 2014, I'd spent a couple of years going to conferences where someone invariably asked the question, the speakers asked the question, put your hand up if you're on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I would put my hand up because I had an account, but I'm like, I'm not using it effectively. And there really weren't many people there. And I just got to a point of, you know, oh, I'm sick of... Um, I'm sick of not really knowing how to use it and all these people getting up and saying, you should use it. Um, so I was looking for someone who could help demystify the whole thing for me or a way of demystifying it. Um, and I came across Jane's Social Learning Practitioner Program, um, which was a series of, I think it was 25 different activities um, that, that you could do at your own pace. Um, and the first one of those was setting up a blog um, and the second thing was 
blogging about the experience of setting up a blog. <laughs> <laughs> Very meta. <laughs> it was, it was. Um, and then it was, you know, about um, getting involved in Twitter chats. It was about doing a, you know, a MOOC, a massively open online course. And so she just took you through, guided you through a, a series of these experiences um, of um, learning in a more social way. Um and it was, you know, just the start of this in- incredible awakening for me. And I-, I think, you know, I often, when I talk with people who want to introduce more continuous learning into their organisations or build learning cultures, I say to them, you've got to dive in first yourself. You have to experience it yourself. You have to build your own practices and habits because you do have to go through this emotional journey as well because it feels a bit foreign, it feels a bit scary and at some point you kind of have to put yourself out there and there's a mindset shift that goes with it as well as understanding the practical barriers, you know, technology doesn't always play nicely and so on. So to be able to guide and support other people through this journey from waiting to be trained to really operating very effectively as learners and workers in in the network world I think it's really critical to have this experience for yourself. And, you know, um, for me, what really got me going was Jane's social learning program. It was amazing. Well, it sounds like a wonderful program. Too bad that it doesn't exist anymore, but it sounds like you definitely got your um, what what you needed from that program. I did. Look, she has other stuff. She has um, a modern workplace learning challenge, which is now a set of I think 50 activities that you, you do over a period of time and that's for anyone. That's not just for learning and development people and they're like 15-minute activities that you, you build up your own independent learning practices. So I, I would commend that to people who are curious as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And so the final question just is if, if folks want to know more about you and about your work or connect with you, where would you have them go? Um, they can go to my website, michellelockers.com. I do have a newsletter um, where I, I talk regularly about, um, you know, some of the aspects of continuous learning, um, both at an individual and organizational level. Um, and LinkedIn is the other place they can find me, just Michelle Ockers. Great. We'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes as well. Michelle, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me. It's been my absolute pleasure, Salisa. That concludes our interview with Michelle Ockers. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 187. When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. Salisa and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, those reviews and ratings play a critical role in helping the podcast show up when people search for content related to the business of lifelong learning. And we'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsors for this quarter. Find out more about WBT Systems at leadinglearning.com slash WBT and find out what Community Brands has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands. Finally, please tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash learning. And of course, you can share us with others there. However you do it, please spread the word about leading learning. 
Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.